The following audio is from Jacob's Well Church. For more information about Jacob's Well Church, please visit www.jacobswellgb.org. One was pomegranates. They're full of antioxidants, which helps with things like heart disease, Alzheimer's, even cancer. Number two was sardines. That surprised me. You got to get on your pizza now. You just got to. Full of omega-3 fats, packed with vitamin D and low on toxins. And the number one food that you should be eating that you're probably not is kale. How many of you actually know what kale is? Right? How many of you do not? All right, I'm in the minority. I have no idea what kale is. I couldn't pick it out of a lineup if I had to. As you look at these things, as we think about what we eat, it's communicating this one thing. You are what you eat. That's a modern proverb, isn't it? All of us have heard of it. You are what you eat. I don't know if you've seen those subway commercials, those commercials where it's set to like fireworks music and people's buttons are popping off and like breaking glass and they're falling through chairs, falling through roofs. They're saying you are what you eat. If you eat junk food, you will become junk. But if you eat healthy, you will become healthy. It's communicating you are what you eat. You know, what we eat has tremendous power over us. If you have ever had food poisoning, you know how powerful food can be. You know how powerful poison can be. It can completely dismantle you for a day. You are what you eat. In today's passage, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Feed on me because you are what you eat. If you would please open up to John chapter 6. It is page 892 in the Red Bible, page 1311 in the Children's Bible. If you remember two weeks ago, Jesus went on this great dialogue about being the bread of life, and he presented it in a way that was kind of safe. I mean, it was good, it was encouraging, but it was kind of safe. But today, He actually goes below the surface, and he starts to get uh, almost disgusting, even offensive. And he starts to really uh, offend those that are listening to his talking. And so uh, pay attention closely as we read this. John chapter 6, verse 48 through 59. Read along with me if you would. This is Jesus speaking. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed amongst themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. 
This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to you this morning, God, help us to feed on Jesus, to be nourished by the bread of life, to leave here full in our souls and in our hearts, rejoicing in your provision. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Up top, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And then he goes on in many ways, says, eat this bread, eat my flesh, feed on me. And then the Jews start arguing, saying, how can we eat his flesh? That's disgusting. It's offensive. For the Jews, it was offensive not only because Jesus seemed to be promoting cannibalism, but because they would not eat anything with blood in it much less drink blood. They would drain the blood out of all of their animals as instructed by God in the Old Testament before they would eat the meat. And so for Jesus to say, eat my body, drink my blood, was extremely offensive, especially being preached in a synagogue to Jews. And so what does Jesus mean when he is saying, eat my flesh? Later on in the passage, which we'll see next week, he's telling us that he is talking about this in spiritual ways. And so what does he mean? Well, when we read this, we see words like bread, like flesh, and blood. And the image that automatically comes to our mind is communion. But I don't think Jesus is talking about communion here in any way, shape, or form. I think it points to the same thing communion does, which is the cross. But it probably is not talking about communion because Jesus says, if you eat my flesh, literally, uh, or, or in a roundabout way, he says, you will be saved. And so if it's talking about communion, then that means anyone who takes communion would be saved, whether they trust in Jesus or not. And contrastly, if someone doesn't take communion, then they wouldn't be saved, like the thief on the cross. And so I don't think Jesus is talking about communion. We could go in that deeper, but that's not really the point of our passage, point of this sermon today. When Jesus says, eat my flesh, drink my blood, What Jesus is communicating is the same thing that he had communicated in the rest of this sermon that he has been preaching, in the rest of John's gospel, in the rest of the Bible. It's another way of communicating that you must believe, that you must have faith. He says in verse 29, 35, and 47, Jesus says, you must believe. Verse 35, he says, come to me. Verse 40, he says, look at me. Verse 45, he says, you must listen and learn from the Father. All of these are describing faith. All of these are describing believing. And he's hitting it from different vantage points. So you can see the fullness of what it means to believe and trust in Jesus Christ. St. Augustine summarized this passage well when he said, Why do you prepare your teeth and belly? Believe in me, and you have eaten me. In other words, and this is in the bulletin, feeding on Jesus is faithing in Jesus or believing in Jesus, if you want to be grammatically correct. And so when Jesus says, feed on me, he's saying, believe in me. Okay, that's that's very important as we go through this passage. So the question is this, why should we feed on Jesus? Why should we faith in Jesus? Why should we believe in Jesus? What are 
the nutritional values of feeding on Jesus? What are the benefits of feeding on Jesus? Well, it's a very simple answer, actually. When you feed on the bread of life, you get life. Simple. When you feed on the bread of life, you get life. Now, Jesus explains this, and he teases out different ways that this life flourishes, and we're going to look at those. So we're going to break it down into four types of life that we get. Immediate life, future life, eternal life, and abiding life. If you're here today and you have fed on Jesus Christ and you have trusted in him as your Savior, all of these things are true for you. Whether you believe it or not, whether you know it or not, whether you acknowledge it or not, if you trust in Christ, if you have fed on Christ, all of these are yours in Christ. So the first is this, immediate life. If you said to your friend, if you walked up to a friend and said, you have no life, they would probably be really offended, right? They'd say, what do you mean I don't have a life? I, you know, I, maybe I'm married, I have kids, or I have a job, or, you know, I, I have a home or a place to live. You know, I'm an important person. What do you mean I have no life? We wouldn't say that, would we? That would be offensive. But that's exactly what Jesus says to him. Look with me in verse 53. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, which means having faith, believing in him, you have no life in you. You have no life. Jesus isn't saying, listen, you are physically dead, because obviously they're talking to him. He's saying, spiritually, you are dead. You have no life in you. Goes on, verse 57. He states it in a positive way. He says, as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. The life Jesus offers begins immediately when we feed upon him. We talked about this a few weeks ago. In the Greek, there are two types of life. There is bios life, which is merely existing like a plant. And then there is zoe life, which is a life full of God. A life as it's supposed to be. Real living. I love there's a story of of a master violinist in Europe who played to sold-out concert halls. He played to royalty. He played in large concerts, and he would play with this very expensive Stradivarius violin. And it was very beautiful. Well, one day this violinist was walking through town, and he came upon upon a pawn shop. That's hard to say. And he walks in, and there was an old violin for $5. And so he bought the violin. He took it home, and he polished it up, and he retuned it, and he fixed it up. At his next concert, he went on to play that $5 violin and played one of the most masterful concerts of his career. You see, for a long time, that violin was a violin, but when it was put in the hands of a master, it came alive. It sang. It was beautiful. What we learn is that until we are in the hands of our master, we are merely a violin. But when we are in the hands of our master, we sing, we glow, we rejoice, we come alive. You know, one of the things that amazes me about Christianity is it is a religion that puts such an emphasis on singing. Such an emphasis on worshiping God, on declaring his greatness and his glory. And it's always puzzled me, why is it 
that we sing so much. You know, I look at other religions and I don't, I don't see like the Buddhist radio station, you know, where they have Buddhist praise songs or I, I, why are Christians so focused on it? It's because we're given life. We're given life and we want to sing and declare it and rejoice in it. And so we see Jesus gives us immediate life. We also see here that Jesus gives us future life. There's a phrase that occurs repetitively uh, both in the last week's passage and this week's passage. Let me just read them to you and see if you can pick out which phrase repeats. Verse 39, And this is the will of him who sent me, Jesus says, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Verse 40, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Verse 44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Do you have it? Do you know what the phrase is? One more. Verse 54, Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. What does it mean that Jesus will raise us up on the last day? Well, if you trust in Christ, if you have fed on Christ, when you die, your soul will go to be with Jesus. You'll be with Jesus immediately, but your body goes into the ground and it deteriorates and it wastes away. And what Jesus is promising here is that when he returns, he will raise for you a body, a perfected body, a glorious body. Jesus actually talks about this last chapter in John 5, 28. He says, an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Paul emphasizes this very articulately in 1 Corinthians 15. You can read along with me on the screen. It says, so is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown, our physical bodies, is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Later in verse 53, Paul puts it this way. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. Uh, This past week, I turned 35 years old. I know, old, isn't it? Some of you are like, no, that's young. (laughs) Others, man, that's old. And a a few weeks ago, I went out for a jog, for a five-mile jog. I have this five-mile loop that I love to do. And I was jogging, and I started off, and I felt great. After about two miles, my hips started hurting me. After about three miles, my ankles started hurting me. At about four miles, I was walking home with a limp. I look at it like I had just been mugged. You know, many of you have can give testimony to how your body is falling apart, whether it be back pain, shoulder pain, whatever it might be. And what Jesus promises here is that one day we will have new bodies when Christ returns. And they will not be these bodies that's perish. They will be perfect bodies. Many of you I know pray for those who are hurt, those who are sick, those who have cancer or Alzheimer's, 
or who have autism or whatever it might be. And we pray for healing in their lives. And what Jesus says here is if they are in me, there is a 100% chance that your prayers will be answered. There is a 100% chance that they will be healed fully and completely, maybe in this life, but in the life to come for sure. And so we see Jesus gives us life to come. He gives us a new body in heaven forever. We also see that Jesus gives us eternal life. This is an overwhelming emphasis in today's passage. Verse 50, Jesus says, This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that no one may eat of it and not die. So that one may eat of it and not die. Verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Verse 54, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Verse 58, this is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Why does Jesus put such an emphasis on eternal life? Why does he repeat himself so much? See, inside each and every one of you, there is a longing for eternal life. As a matter of fact, it's put in your heart by God. God put in our hearts a longing for eternal life. And you see this being flushed out in many ways in our society. We exercise to extend our life. We go to the doctor to extend our life. We eat healthy to extend our life. All of these are really good things, but they are showing what we know is true, which is all of us long for an eternal life. Even if someone is on their deathbed, they will say, I have had a good long life and I'm ready to go to heaven because they're looking for eternal life. God puts this desire in all of us. It is a strong desire if you look at how much money is spent just on the healthcare system alone, you can see how much people want to live forever. Verse 58 points out that Israel ate manna in the wilderness provided by God, but what was their fate? They died. And yet God brings a better manna from heaven. He brings the bread of life, Jesus Christ. And if you eat this bread, you will live forever. God will transform your earthly body into your heavenly, glorious body that cannot perish, that will have no pain or suffering, and we will live with him forever. When this reality, when this truth hits our heart, that this life is temporary, that we have an eternal life to come, it changes the way we live our life. When we see that life is eternal, we don't have to live for today. We don't have to gain the most toys before we die so we can win the game. We can live for the things that are eternal. We can live for God. We can live for the word of God. We can live for the souls of men because we know this life is not all that there is. To live is Christ, but to die is gain. And so we see God gives us eternal life. He gives us a future life with a new body. He gives us immediate life, a life of vitality. But finally, we see that Jesus gives us abiding life. I think the reason why Jesus uses this illustration of bread is for this very verse right here. Verse 56. Whoever feeds on my flesh 
and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. What does it, what does it mean to abide? Well, the Greek word is meno, and it means to remain in a place or to dwell or to abode. And so when you read this in the scripture, most of the time it's talking about someone who's living in a certain house or someone who's living in a certain city, and that's where they abide. That's where they dwell. And Jesus says here that if you feed on him, that you abide in him and he abides in you. Now, there are two parts to this. First is this, Christ abides in you. What a better, there is no better way to illustrate this than what Jesus says right here. You know, when you think of bread, when you think of food, you take it in, you eat it, you internalize it, and it works its way out through every cell in your body. It feeds it, it energizes it, it abides in you. Christ uses this illustration to try to show us what it means that he abides inside all of his believers through his Holy Spirit. We feed on Jesus by faith, and he abides in us, really, through his Holy Spirit. This is true of everyone who trusts in Christ. Christ abides in you. We also see, though, that not only does Christ abide in us, that we also abide in Christ. It's kind of hard to imagine, you know, because you know, if you're a person and you abide in a car, the car can't abide in you because the car is bigger than you. But these two realities are true, that Christ abides in us, but we too abide in Christ. Verse 56 again, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me. What does it mean that we abide in Christ? This past Wednesday, there was the, the giant snowstorm that came through town. And I was inside uh, drinking my hot coffee, sitting next to my warm fireplace, looking outside at the storm that was passing through. What was I doing? I was abiding in my house. I was dwelling in the safety of my house, in the warmth of my house. Many storms pass through our life, either in your job or in your marriage or in your finances in friendships. And it is such good news that we abide in the shelter of Christ. Sin overcomes us. Satan accuses us. Guilt condemns us. But if you trust in Christ, you know that your sin abided in him at the cross. And his righteousness abides in you. That he took your sin, that he paid for it in full that he could dwell in your heart. And so we see that Christ abides in us and that we abide in him. And this is an abiding life. This is called union with Christ. It is a glorious truth. And my prayer is that as we consider this great promise of Jesus, this great reality for those who feed on Christ, that he would expand in our hearts that he would abide more and more in all of who we are, in all of what we do, that we bring Christ into every area of our life. And so we see that if we feed on the bread of life, we get immediate life, we, we get future life with resurrected bodies, we get eternal life, but we also get this abiding life. Let me end with this. 
Do you guys remember who Ponce de Leon is from school? Do you remember the, the Spanish explorer and conquistador? He was the guy who came to the U.S., sent by Spain, and he came here to expand Spain's territory to look for gold, but he also came looking for the fountain of youth. He came looking for eternal life. And you may look at Ponce de Leon and you say, what a fool! Who would pursue such a, a foolish goal? But does God look at you and see the same thing? Does he say, look at them. They're feeding on everything the world has to offer. And they're still coming up hungry. And yet they go back for more and more and more and more. See, all of us are, are followers of Ponce de Leon, aren't we? We all pursue things to give us life, that leave us empty, that leave us hungry. And Jesus says to here, says to us here, if you are looking to be filled, if you're looking to be fed, if you are looking for life, search no longer. I am the bread of life. Come and eat and be satisfied. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to be the bread of life, that just as food is internalized and comes inside of us and abides in us and gives us energy and explodes inside of us, Lord, we pray that your dwelling would explode in us as well, God. That we would continue to see you as glorious, to enjoy you, to relish you, that we would Indeed, draw on your power of living inside of us from your Holy Spirit. Help us to do that for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.